Radical grace. Radical grace. What is it? What is it? Without it, we have no hope. no hope. Because without grace, we have nowhere to cope with no the cope. pains of this world. Let's confess, we are a mess, so we just admit it. Grace matters. grace matters. Radical grace Radical is unconditional, grace. unexpected, unlimited, excessive, extravagant, and scandalously unfair. Scandalously giving us, all of us, a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. Radical grace saves us, saves the world. What is it? A gift, a blessing, free but not without cost. Radical grace says, no, it screams, there's nothing you could do that could get me to hate you. There's nothing you could say that would make me turn my love away from you. Radical grace reaches the poor, the broken, the wounded, the weary, the needy, the least of these. Over and over and over again because radical grace is boundless and timeless. Yeah, we all sin and sin and sin again and again and again. But take heart, our God is with us and he would never leave us apart. And as he counts every hair on your head and wipes every tear from your face, you can finally feel it. Radical Grace. Well, good morning, church. Good morning, good morning. So excited about today. We're beginning a brand new series here at Rolling Hills called Radical Grace. And it's going to be an awesome series over these next three weeks as God teaches us about grace and how to receive that grace, live in that grace, and share that grace. And as we come alive in Christ, grace will transform us. And so I'm so glad, so glad you're here this morning. I believe it's going to be a awesome series for us. You know, it was about five years ago, and Lisa and the girls and I, we had traveled to San Antonio to see my parents, and they were living in San Antonio at the time, and so we were coming back to Nashville, and we were boarding the plane, and my oldest daughter, Grace, was five, and Mabry, or middle, was three, and then Kate was only one years old, so she was a little bitty baby, and, and so we're getting on Southwest Airlines, we're coming on the plane, and if you're a parent and uh, you have ever flown, you know there's two things, right? You are carrying a ton of stuff. So I'm getting on the plane. I've got all kinds of bags, all kinds of baggage I'm bringing on the plane with me. And the second thing is this, is that nobody wants you to sit by them, right? Okay, because, you know, they're like, oh, baby, uh, yeah, seat taken. You know, they're like trying to avoid you and everything. And so, so we're going down, and we, we find these three seats together, and then there's one across the aisle on the other side. And so... So Grace, our five-year-old, wants to sit by the window, so she sits there. Uh, Kate is hanging on to Lisa, and so Lisa sits in the middle, and then Mabry doesn't want to sit by herself across the aisle, so she sits over next to Lisa. So Lisa's got all the girls in those three seats, and then I sit down across the aisle. And uh, we get on, and the flight starts to go, and sure enough, Kate, our one-year-old, was fussy, and she was moving around. And and so I'm across the aisle, and I'm looking over. I'm like, you know, want me to take her? And Lisa's like, you know, she, you know, she wants to be with me. And Lisa's such a great mom. She's an incredible mom. And so she's got games and goldfish, and she's trying to entertain Grace and Mabry and, and hold on to Kate, and Kate's kicking the seat in front of her, right? You know, she's apologizing. Well, I'm over on the other side, and I'm like, can't do much. So I put my headphones on, you know, and get my computer out, get a book out, and I just kind of kick back. I'm like, Okay, you know, I want to help, but I can't help, so I'm just going to go on on this flight, and we're headed home, headed to Nashville. So for two hours, right, we're flying, I'm thinking, this is the greatest flight ever. And I'm looking over, and Lisa's battling, but, you know, I can't really do anything and not helping much. And, and right before we land, I mean, about five minutes before the wheels come down to land, Kate, our one-year-old, bites Lisa, okay? She was a biter. She bites Lisa. Lisa's like, ah, you know, and Lisa's finally like looks at me and she's like, 
she's yours, right? Here's your daughter. You know how that happens, right? Your daughter. And so she hands her across the aisle, and I'm, you know, oblivious. So I take my headphones out, and I'm like, okay. And so I take Kate, and Lisa's hair is all disheveled. You know, she's been wrestling three kids. And, and, and I get Kate, and Kate, I guess, knew something was up because as soon as she came to me, she just buried her head into my chest and went right to sleep. And so here she is, just sound asleep, and I'm like, all right. So I kind of pack my stuff up, and, you know, the flight lands. I'm thinking this is the easiest flight ever, and Lisa's been through this battle. And we are deboarding the plane, right, and all these people are getting off. And this woman, older woman, taps Lisa on the shoulder and looks at Lisa and says, you have the most amazing husband I've ever seen. And I thought, oh no, Lisa's going to go after her. This is going to be fireworks here, you know. Now, I did not deserve that compliment. No way, no how. I mean, I just kicked back the whole time. And, and I took Kate, and yeah, she fell asleep, and I'm holding her. But I didn't deserve that at all. And here's the incredible news about grace, is we receive what we don't deserve. We don't deserve grace at all. And yet when we come to God, what we find is something immeasurably more than we could ever dream, immeasurably more than we could ever even understand. We receive grace. And when we understand what we have in Christ, we come alive. Our lives are changed. Praise God for His grace. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I want to unpack the Word of God with you today. So let's open together to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. So right here we're going to be in Ephesians, and uh, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. So he's writing to believers. Now, if you're doing our daily step, if you're reading through the Bible each day, then we're in the book of Ephesians. So this is so perfect. But we're going to be looking in Ephesians chapter 2. Maybe you have a mobile device with you. You can access the scripture online. Or we're going to put the scripture on the screen for you this morning. As you watch God's word come alive, I pray. So Acts chapter, I mean Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Pick up here. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, you were dead, right? You had no hope. You were dead. You were far from God. In which you used to live when you had followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So he's going, you remember your old life right before Christ? You remember your old life and, and how you were far from God? You were dead. You were in your sins. You were in transgressions. Verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. And so the Apostle Paul says, hey guys, you remember this? Holy God, you were sinful. You were living for the cravings of the world. You were gratifying the sinful nature. That's who you used to be. You were an object of wrath, right? Because God does not exist with sin. So holy God and you and I were at war with God. There was a huge gap. There was a huge problem. Holy God, sinful man. But look at verse 4. Look at verse 4, how powerful this is. But, praise God for that word right there. But, but. Because of his great love for us. 
Because of God's great love. See, so many people think God's just up there waiting to condemn them, waiting to, for them to mess up. No, 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 no. God is a God of love. God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Praise God. What a good news. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He says, you know what? That God redeemed and God restored us. But that's not the end of the story. That God has incomparable riches prepared for us in heaven. That one day in eternity, God will lavish even more love, more grace upon us. For it is, verse 8, by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. Right? That word is translated masterpiece. For we are God's masterpiece. There's no one in the world like you. You are unique. You are special. You were created by God. For we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Wow! Which God prepared in advance for us to do, that when you come alive in Christ, God has a calling on your life. God is redeeming and restoring, and God has a purpose for you. And it is all by grace. Grace, 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 grace. In those ten verses, we talk about grace, grace, grace. Listen, what is grace? Have you ever thought about it? What actually is grace? Well, here's a short definition. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is God's unmerited favor. (laughs) We didn't deserve it, right? We didn't do anything to earn it. God's unmerited favor on us. Now, there's a difference between mercy and grace, right? There's a difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is fantastic. Grace takes it to a whole new level. For example, if I'm driving along and I get a speeding ticket, you know, and I have to show up in court, and I go before the judge, and the judge looks at me, and and he says, you know, how do you plea? You were driving 38 in the 30. How do you plea? And I say, I'm guilty, right? He goes, well, you know what? I'm feeling really merciful today. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear this ticket up. I'm going to act like it never even happened. You don't have to pay a penalty. You don't have to go to that driving school. You don't have to do anything. I'm just taking it off your record because I'm feeling very merciful. You have been relieved of this. And you're like, yeah, woohoo, great job. But there's a whole different level if you go into the court and he says, you know what? I'm feeling very graceful today. And not only am I going to tear this ticket up, and not only is it going to come off your record, you're not even going to be able to see it. I'm just going to remove it like it never even happened. But you know what? I feel so graceful, and I care about you, and I don't know why, but you are special to me. And so in order to just show you that, I have a brand new red convertible Corvette that's in the back, and I'm giving it to you. But now here's the deal. I I don't want you to go speeding in it. I don't want you to break the law in it. It comes with some responsibility, but it is for you. You'd be like, whoa, I mean, what just happened? It's grace. (laughs) It's grace, and it's so hard for us to get our minds around it. It's so hard for us to comprehend it. And grace is what separates Christianity from every major world religion. Because every major world religion is about man trying to get to God. If I could climb the ladder, if I could do enough good things, and somehow maybe God will accept me. And grace shows us this, that we will never be good enough 
But God came to us. In the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our despair, in the midst of our hurt, our pain, in the midst of our total depravity, God comes to us in grace. Wow. Praise God. Now there's five truths that I want you to get today. Five truths as we begin this series, as we talk about receiving grace. And these are foundational for all of us. The first truth is this, is that grace shows us that we're all in need. We are all in need of grace. Remember, go back to that verse 4, right? In verse 4 he says, comes down and goes, even when we were dead in transgressions. We are all in need of grace. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, we didn't have any hope. See, nobody's perfect, right? None of us are perfect. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all messed up. Nobody is perfect. Jesus told a parable. A parable is a story, right? An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And, and Jesus told this parable. You may remember it. One of the most famous stories ever. He said a man was leaving Jerusalem and going down to Jericho. And, and he was going. And on his way, he was attacked by robbers. He was beaten and leaving for dead, you know. And, and, and he's laying on the side of the road. I mean, he's half dead. And, and a priest comes by. And you're thinking, woohoo, he's got some help. But, but the priest keeps walking, right? Here comes religion, and there it goes. And, and then a Levite comes by, and you're thinking, yeah. And the Levite keeps walking and just goes right on by. And you're thinking, good works, right? Good things. But, but then a Samaritan, Jesus says, come by. And the, and the Jews, they hated the Samaritans, just hated them. But, but the Samaritan comes by, and he's a good Samaritan. And he comes, and he, and he helps the guy, right? He picks him up. He puts him on the back of his donkey. He bandages his wounds. He takes him to an inn. He tells the innkeeper, hey, here's some money to take care of him. Make sure he's all right. And so often we, we look at this story and we say, yes, God's calling me to be a good Samaritan. Yes, God's calling me to help people. But when we begin to understand in that story, we are the person that's left for dead. We are the person who is broken. We are the person who's on the side of the road. We are the person in need of help and hope. And God comes to us. God meets us right where we are. May we never forget, may we never forget the power of grace. That when we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, God made us alive in Christ. May that overflow in us. May there always be a joy and a thankfulness because we have received grace when we were in our deepest, darkest need. And whatever you face in this life, you know God is with you because God meets you right where you are. We are all in need of grace. We're all in need of grace. Here's the second thing. The second thing that I think is so important is grace comes not through earning. Grace comes not through earning. Remember verse 8, right? For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, <laughs> lest no man should boast. You know, we live in a performance-based society, don't we? Everything's based on performance. You know, you're... Grades in school, your merit raises at work, sports championships, you know, and all of that's based on performance. And we bring that into our relationship with God. We bring this performance mentality into our relationship with God. And how do I perform God? And, and, and the fact is you cannot earn grace. You can't. Now we want to earn grace. You see, we want to earn grace because then we can control it, right? <laughs> we can control it. We're in charge then, <laughs> But grace is something you have to receive. Grace is not something that you earn. 
And even when we receive it, we still try to earn it so many times. But the great part about this, if we can't earn it, we can't lose it. See, that's powerful, right? That speaks to the doctrine of eternal security. That if we can't earn it, we can't lose it. We're not in control. When we were broken, God comes to us. Now, grace is not opposed to effort, but grace is opposed to earning. To earning. Because earning becomes about works. And it's not about works so that nobody can boast. I can't say, I did it. I accomplished it. I made it happen. Now, once you are redeemed and once you are restored, you want to serve, but you want to serve not to earn God's favor. You want to serve because you are redeemed and restored and out of a love and a grace. But what God's done for you, you want to bring glory to his name. So you want to invest your life for him. That's why the Apostle Paul says, I labor, yet not I, but Christ in me. (laughs) There's a huge difference there. That we serve not in order to earn God's acceptance or to earn God's favor. We serve because we are already accepted. It's not about what we do. It's about what he's done. It's not about what we do. It's about what he's done. And as we remember that, that that impacts us in an incredible way. And that's number three, which is this. is grace changes us. Grace changes us. Grace makes us live differently. Grace makes us see life differently. Grace brings us alive. One of Jesus' most famous stories is just all about grace. It really is. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 15. And uh, it, it says this in Luke chapter 15. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate So his dad divided the property between them. Now, this is, it's hard for us to understand this, but back in this day when a younger son would come to his dad and say, hey, give me my inheritance, basically what he's saying is, dad, I wish you were dead. I can't stand you. I don't want to live here anymore. I don't want to follow your ways. I don't want to follow your rules. I am out of here, and I hate you so much. I wish you were dead. Now, this dad back in this time, they had laws where the dad could have had the son put in jail. The dad could have had the son even killed. I mean, but what did the dad do? He honored the request, right? God doesn't force us. God invites us. God redeems and restores us. It says, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. (laughs) After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in, what, need, right? Goes back to point one, right? We're all in need. And this guy, he's living in the the gratifying the sinful desires, like it says in Ephesians. He's living that kind of life, and he realizes it's empty. And when the money runs out, all the friends are gone. When the money runs out, all the pleasure's gone. He's like, whoa, what do I do? I am in need. I am in need. So he went and he hired himself out as a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, if you're a Jewish boy, it doesn't get any worse than this. i got to tell you, if you are feeding pigs, it's horrible. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. And look at verse 17. When he came to his senses, boy, that's strong. There comes a point in every one of our lives when we realize, I can't. But God can. 
that we would come to our senses to say, you know, this world and all that, it's empty, right? It's empty. There's got to be more. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to eat? Spare, And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. In the midst of the pig pen, right? In the midst of brokenness. Maybe today you're just kind of looking at your life and you go, man, it's a mess. It's been hard. It's been challenging. It's been difficult. And maybe today God's just drawing you to himself and saying, hey, come home. Come home. I love you. I care about you. Come home. So this boy started the journey, started heading home. He didn't know what to expect, right? He didn't know if his dad was going to say, see, I told you so. He didn't know if his dad was going to, you know, have him put in jail. He didn't know if his dad was going to say, you pay back everything that you took from me. But the boy had a whole speech and he was ready to give it. But it says, Bob... While he was still a long way off. <laughs> I always love that. You know, this dad is pacing the porch every day looking. Where's my son? I pray he comes. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. <laughs> And this boy, he did not expect that, right? Because back in this day, you know, Jewish patriarchs, the men, they didn't run. I mean, you'd have to tuck your, your, your robe up in your hands, you know, show your legs. I was so uncouth. You wouldn't do that, right? And, and yet this dad just runs to him and he throws his arms around him and begins to kiss him and to kiss him and to kiss him. And his son pushes him back and you just see the son said to him, Father, 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 hold on. I got this whole speech ready. I have sinned against heaven and against you. The dad lets him say that, right? <laughs> yeah, you did. You, you messed up. You blew it. I get it. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And this is where the dad interrupts him. But, but the father said to him, servants, quick, bring the best robe. You know what he does? He interrupts him right there. He goes, what do you mean you're no longer worthy to be called my son? Were you ever worthy? <laughs> did you do anything to become my son? You will always be my son. If you notice, too, he didn't get to the part of the speech where he said, hey, make me like one of your hired men. Why? You know what the younger son was saying? Hey, make me like one of your hired men. I want to earn it. I want to earn it. I want to earn your favor. I want to earn it. I want to pay for it. (laughs) He's going, no, you can't do that. You'll always be my son. Quick, bring the best robe (laughs) and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. You know, the ring on his finger would have been like a, a stamp. That's like, you know, power of attorney. That means he has power on the estate. You're like, what? Why would he entrust him with that? <laughs> That's grace. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The slaves back then were the ones who went barefoot. <laughs> he says, you're not a slave. You're not a hired man. Put, put sandals on his feet. He's a part of the family. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's grace. That's grace. You know, the Bible says that when uh, one person turns and comes to God, that there's a party in heaven. That, That heaven just erupts. Yes! They're home. They were living for the things of the world, and now they've come 
to God, the God who created them, the God who redeemed and restored them. God, they're coming home. It's grace. It's such a beautiful picture of grace. But there's another picture here as well. There's a younger son and there's an older son. And we're all in need of grace, aren't we? Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and he asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Isn't this good news? Isn't this great? Your brother is home. The older brother became angry. You didn't expect that, right? The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Now notice this. The father goes to both the sons. The father goes to the younger son. He runs out to meet him. And the older son, in his anger, in his pride, in his arrogance, the father comes to him. The father moves toward him. pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, exclamation point. He doesn't say, dad, he doesn't have any reverence, doesn't have any respect. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, right, not my brother, but when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, now, it doesn't say anything about the younger son being with prostitutes, but the older brother probably imagined that. But when this, this son of yours comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found He's like, don't you understand? Don't you see what is happening here? You see, the older brother, even though he was at the house, was, was just as lost. The older brother, even though he was near the father, was just as lost. He didn't understand grace. He didn't understand grace. His pride. I'm doing all this. I'm earning this. I'm making this happen. I have a good friend who said, I spent 26 years in church and I became a Pharisee. <laughs> it wasn't until I understood grace that I became a disciple. Grace changes us. Grace calls us out of the pig pen and calls us to a God who loves us. Grace calls us out of trying to do it and do it and do it and calls us to a God who receives us. Grace changes us. And when we understand the magnitude of what we've received from God, right? We can't, we can't be the same. We can't, we can't have the same attitude toward other people. We can't have the same desires as the world. There's something different that erupts in us when we truly receive the grace of God, knowing that all God has for us. Here's number four, it's this. Although it is free, <laughs> grace is not cheap. Grace is not cheap. If you go back to verse 13 in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, at verse 13 it tells us this. But now in Christ Jesus, 
you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You see, we have to understand that grace, grace cost Jesus' life. Grace took Jesus to the cross to pay the price for our sins. It's, it's the blood of Christ. It's not a cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, incredible uh, theologian, and uh, he wrote this in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, an incredible book, right? A classic. He says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's a cheap grace. You know, there's times in our lives when, when we kind of act like this, we, we rationalize, don't we? We go, well, God will forgive me, so I'll go ahead and do this. <laughs> God will forgive me, and I know I shouldn't go to this website, but you know what? God will forgive me. God will forgive me, so I, I know I shouldn't cheat on my taxes, but you know God will forgive me. God will forgive me, I know I shouldn't gossip, but God will forgive me. You know what that is? That's a cheap grace. That's a cheap grace. That's not understanding the cost. That's not understanding the call. That's not understanding the responsibility for what we've received. And there's a difference, Bonhoeffer says, between a cheap grace and a costly grace. A costly grace, he says, is it confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It, it comes as a word of forgiveness to a broken spirit and the contrite heart. It is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, we can never fall for that cheap grace. To understand the magnitude of grace in our lives calls us to discipleship, calls us to follow, calls us to fall more in love with God and be obedient to Him. In John chapter 8, there's a, an incident that is recorded where a woman is caught in the act of adultery. Now, you can't think of anything more humiliating, embarrassing, I mean, just vulnerable, I mean, ugh. And it was a trap. It was a total trap. The, the religious leaders were trying to trick Jesus and trap Jesus and so they set this woman up and some guy seduces her and in the middle of this act of adultery they rush in and they grab this woman and you can imagine I mean, she's trying to cover herself with a bed sheet and everything else and they take her out and they throw her down in front of Jesus and they think man we've got Jesus because they're all standing there with rocks they're getting ready to stone this woman to kill this woman and they say to Jesus Jesus what should we do with this woman and Jesus knows the law. The law would say she was caught in the act of adultery, right? She deserves to die. But, but if Jesus says, hey, you know, don't kill her, then he's going against the law. And if, if Jesus says do kill her, right, then he's given a command for her to be murdered. And, and that goes against his grace. And so they think, man, we've got Jesus right here. And they're ready. Rocks in hand. And Jesus looks at this woman and then it says that he bent to the ground and he began riding in the sand. Everybody's always wondered, what did Jesus write in the sand that day? Did he write their names to the people standing around? Did he write their sins? Jesus said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And the Bible says that rocks began to drop. And from the oldest to the youngest, the accusers walked away. 
And then Jesus looks at this woman, right? And he helps her up and he looks at her and he says, Woman, where are those who condemn you? He says, neither do I condemn you. But go and sin no more. Wow, pretty powerful, right? Go and sin no more. It's not a cheap grace. You, you see, adultery, it's wrong, right? You, you don't go back to that life. Don't do that. You're wrecking your life. You're wrecking the life of somebody else. You're impacting their kids or your kids. You're impacting so many other people. Don't do it. Don't do it. There's a call to obedience. God says, be holy because I am holy. Be set apart. Be different. Don't gratify the old nature. You are new. You are redeemed. You are restored in Christ. And it's a costly grace. What grace challenges us is this. Is grace calls us to love God more. Grace calls us to follow Christ. Grace calls us to love others and to celebrate with others because our self-worth and our value is secure because of who God says we are in Christ. Redeemed, restored, and loved. And then number five is this. <laughs> Will you receive God's grace today? Will you? Uh, for grace to be ours, we must receive it. Right? What does it say? For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. The gift of God. Sometimes we don't receive God's grace because, one, we, we think it's too good to be true. You know? We're like, what's the catch? We live in this skeptical world, right? We, we live in this world where we're like always looking for, you know, we're skeptical all the time. And, and yet, there's not a catch. God's grace is enough. God's grace is sufficient, but we have to receive it. Uh, we, don't, we don't want to receive God's grace many times because we don't think we deserve it, right? And we're right. We don't. Just like I didn't deserve the compliment on the plane, we don't deserve it. But God gives it anyway. And God gives us a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a 50th chance and a 100th chance. And as Spurgeon said, as a bird cannot exhaust the air in the sky or as a fish cannot exhaust the water in the sea, we cannot exhaust the grace of God. God is for you. God loves you. God has redeemed you. Sometimes we don't want to receive God's grace because let's just face it, we're prideful. And, and this is the most disappointing of all, I think. That we let our pride and our arrogance keep us outside of the party. We let our pride and our arrogance keep us away from what God's really doing. And what grace compels us to is to join God. Is to come alongside as redeemed as restored. And be a part of a bigger story. Grace allows us to celebrate when good things happen to others. Grace allows us to celebrate in our own lives as we are redeemed and restored. Grace allows us to come alive. Grace is where the Christian life dwells. Where are you? Have you received God's grace? Have you look at this story? Are you more like the younger son? Or are you more like the older? Has there been a time that you've just said yes, yes, yes to God? As you take a spiritual inventory of your heart and your life, you know what? Are you growing in grace? Is this an area that you've received God, you've, you've stepped over that line, you've said, I'm going to follow, I'm going to trust. In, in your life, are you more patient with others? In your life, are you more alive and more in love 
in your life do you see grace rising up in you? And I don't know where you are today, but I know this, that there is a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God who has come to you, a God who has come to you. How do you respond today? Will you receive God's grace? Let's pray together. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for grace. Oh God, it's so hard for us to even get our minds around it, Father. But I pray today that, God, you would just give us a little foretaste of the goodness of your love. I pray that, God, we would grow in our understanding of grace and that it would transform us from the inside out. That, God, we would live as people who are redeemed. That, God, we would be excited in our, in our marriage, in our family, with our children, with our career. God, that, that there would be something different about us because we are people of grace. And not just any kind of grace, but radical grace that we are alive. Father, we know to whom much is given, much is required. And so this responsibility to follow and to trust and be obedient. And so, Lord, we want to be men and women after your heart. Teach us about grace and call us to live in the grace that only you can give. Thank you for Jesus and for hope and for life. And it's in the precious, beautiful name of Jesus we pray and receive your grace today. Amen.